Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. I mean, go ahead and get your Bibles open to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter number four. Ephesians, uh, chapter number four. We are uh, on our third week uh, looking at uh, our emotions from a biblical perspective. And we've been saying each week that your emotions are like smoke from a fire. Uh, last night or yesterday, uh, you know, yesterday was a, was a uh, it started out as a wonderful day. Nothing, there's nothing in my opinion better than waking up on a Saturday morning and it's raining and you can't do anything, but college football is on. And, oh hush. And so, uh, so, you know, I get up and I'm like, well, it's a rainy day, can't do anything, college football's on, but it, you know, it was, it was still about eight o'clock. And so about nine o'clock, me and April are like, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna take a nap. That's a great day. So we take a nap. And I'm asleep, and I wake up, and I walk in the living room, and there's smoke all in the living room. This is concerning when you walk in your living room and there's smoke. And I'm like, what is going on? Lexi was cooking pancakes, and apparently she thinks pancakes need to be cooked on super high until they're black and charred. But I'm like, what is, so I, had to, I saw the smoke, I had to go find the source of the smoke to make sure it was just someone burning food like Lexi and April tend to do, uh, or if it was, you know, something I had to take care of. You know, it happens every Thanksgiving we have smoke in our kitchen. Usually it's my fault because the turkey is caught on fire in the oven. You know, it's not Thanksgiving until you try to burn your house down. So I gotta watch where that smoke is. I see the fire, put it out. And so when you see smoke, especially if it's in your house, you gotta find the source of it. The smoke's not the main issue. Now, if you leave it alone, the smoke will kill you, but the smoke's not the big issue. The fire's the issue. And your emotions are like smoke for a fire. How we react to things and the emotions we deal with, they're not really the main issue, but they show us what our big issue is. And like I've said every week, sometimes, and what we're looking at here are our emotions from a spiritual perspective. You may have issues that go beyond the spiritual realm. You may have uh, chemical imbalances. You may have psychological, sociological, emotional issues that require you to get help, get counseling, get, get some, uh, some psychiatric help or some, uh, some sociological help or medication. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. You know, you have a heart attack, you go to the doctor, you get a pill. You don't say, well, I'm just going to pray my heart, or my heart attack away. You can try that but you're gonna die. So some reason we think, well, mental issues, mental problems, we just pray them away. No, 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 if you have issues, deal with it. But we're looking at stuff from a spiritual perspective. And we've already looked at uh, depression. We've looked at anxiety. This morning we're looking at a, another emotion that if, if, if we are honest, every one of us has dealt with at some time or another in our life and that's anger. How many of you would honestly say you, from time to time, can lose your temper? Okay. How many of y'all, I'm going to start a fight right now. How many of y'all can honestly say your spouse, from time to time, loses their temper? I got mine up. My spouse, man, she gets mad. Woo! Sometimes, man, uh, no, I do, I do. Now, my temper has, has gotten better over the years. I, I still can, every once in a while, just lose it and just completely blow up. And, but nowadays, when I do that, it's more justified. Uh, before, it wasn't as justified. And uh, so, you know, but there's some things we got to understand. Uh, anger can be destructive. It can destroy a relationship. It can destroy a marriage. It can, anger can cause you to lose your job. You go to work tomorrow, get mad at your boss and blow up at him or her, you're going to get fired. And then you're going to have to go home and tell your spouse, I lost my job because I'm an idiot again. And then you get another fight. So anger can be extremely destructive. And the thing is, oftentimes it's, it's very hard to deal with in your heart. So we've really got to look at what the Bible says about 
our anger and how to handle our anger. I was listening to a story about an elderly couple. They've been married, you know, 60, 70 years, and they were talking and just kind of reminiscing. And the husband just kind of very humbly said, you know, you know what, honey, I, I've not been the best husband to you. I would lose my temper at you and the kids all the time. I would blow up and get mad about something and just, just, just lose everything and go crazy with my temper. And I'm, I'm so sorry I put you through that. And his, you know, the wife's like, well, dear, it's under, I understand and I appreciate you saying that. And he goes, but I never understood, no matter how angry I got, no matter how mean I was, you always stayed so calm. How, how'd you do that? She goes, well, every time you lost your temper, I would just go and clean the bathroom. He said, that really helped you? She said, yeah, I'd use your toothbrush. So there are ways for us to deal with anger. There are good ways and there are bad ways. And if we're honest, most of us, when we look at our anger, we can say, when I lose my temper, when I get angry, I've responded poorly. Now, I want you to understand, some of you are sitting there and you're like, I don't lose my temper. I get mad. I don't blow up. I don't yell. I don't scream. I don't say things I shouldn't say. I don't cuss. Great. You're probably still not handling your anger properly. Because you people who do that, when you get angry, you know what you do? You get passive aggressive. You stop talking to people. You shut them out of your life for a while. You ignore them. Or you say stuff, and here's, this has gotten real bad nowadays, you say stuff on Facebook directed at them, but you don't say their name. You know, and you, you are passive aggressively dealing with your anger. That's not right either. Neither blowing up or shutting off are proper biblical ways to handle your anger. And all of us can look back, we can see how we have reacted to anger and it hurt our relationships. Every one of us has probably had some time in our life where we said something, and as soon as we said it, we wish we could take it back. You ever done that? Where you, you, you know, like if you're on the radio or TV, there's like a five or 10 second delay. So if you say something you shouldn't say, you know, if you curse, they can bleep you out. I wish I could have like a 10 second delay where after I said something, I'd be like, we're going we're gonna to bleep that out just so they don't hear that because I, want, I don't want to do that. But we said something, we've, maybe immediately, maybe it's a few days later when you finally calm down, you're like, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. Now this morning, we are not going to look at the healthiest ways for you to deal with your anger. So I'm not going to be giving you five steps to handle your anger properly. We are going to be looking at what your anger and how you react to anger what it says about your heart. You know, that's the, that's the focus of the Bible. The Bible's main focus isn't trying to get you to change behavior or to follow these steps to do a good thing. The Bible's main focus of everything is to get you to look at your heart, to see what's going on in your heart. Because you can change all the outward behavior you want to change. But if you don't deal with the heart, it doesn't, it's not going to last. So if you can see what's going on in your heart and you can deal with what is going on in your heart, then you can change how you react to anger. And look, we live in a very angry society. Don't believe me? Turn on Fox News and MSNBC at the same time. Watch them argue and yell and scream, usually about the same thing, but from different perspectives. They're each calling each other names and yelling about what the other guy did and bashing the other guy. And we just live in a very angry society. Usually, uh, but you know, uh, the media always wants us to disagree and wants to argue. So Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he wrote to the church at Ephesus about anger and how to deal with it in a biblical way. And we're going to see some things that apply to us today. So look in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse number 26. Paul says, Be ye angry. Alright, we're going to pray and dismiss. It says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. 
Let him that steal, that stole, steal no more, but rather let him labor with his hands the thing which is good that he may have, have to give him, uh, give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So as we break down this teaching... I'm going to show us three things about anger. The first thing we want to look at is, number one, we see from Paul, we see a confusing command. Connor, next slide. A confusing command. Again, look how he begins this passage. Verse number 26, be ye angry. Now that, that phrase there, be ye angry, it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It is in the imperative tense. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us, hey, get mad. Get angry. How many of y'all, 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 love, y'all love obeying that command? Get angry. Get mad about something. There are times, as a believer, you need to be angry. You need to be mad. You know, a lot of people, we are taught that anger, or it's a sin. It's to be avoided at all costs. That, that isn't a Christian teaching. Now, Buddhists teach that the elimination of all emotions helps you reach nirvana. And once you reach nirvana, where you have no emotions, you have no anger, no joy, no sadness, no nothing, where you're like Spock on Star Trek, you're just an a, 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 a emotionless person. Once you reach that, then you've, you've achieved nirvana and you can be reincarnated as something wonderful in your next life. If you don't get that, then you're a slug. Uh, but anyway, that's not a Christian teaching. The Bible teaches us anger is a necessary part of love. If you love something, you're going to get angry at something that tries to hurt it. If you love someone and they're dying of cancer, you're going to get angry at the cancer that's taking their life. You're going to get angry at the disease that is destroying them. Anger is a destructive energy that is released in defense of something that you love. I love my kids. Somebody or something tries to hurt them, I'm going to get angry and I'm going to react. Don't believe me? Try to hurt my kids. Try to come into my home and hurt my family. You'll see me get angry, but just for a minute, because then you're going to be dead. Because I'm getting angry. You know, because I love my kids, I get angry at the moral cancer of our society. About the things that, that TV and, and all these things push at them that tell them this is okay. And it's contrary to the Word of God. And it's contrary to, to what God says, how to live our lives. And it's everywhere. And how many of y'all remember the movie? I think it was like 20-some years ago. A League of Their Own, Tom Hanks. Y'all remember that? There's no crying in baseball. You know, there's a new TV series, A League of Their Own. It's out on Amazon. I started to watch it. It's very, and again, I don't, I, I have, I'm not, I don't hate anybody, any group, or any sin, but it's, it's pushing the LGBTQ th- uh, thing very hard, making it normal. And look, I've read the books, I've read history, I know it was a lot normal back then than, they, than we want to admit, but it was hidden because it was bad. But they're pushing, oh, this is, this is how everybody is. Just act that way. And it, it makes me angry that that's what my kids are learning in the culture and the society they're growing up in. So I get angry at the, the moral cancer that's trying to steal my children's relationship with God. I can get angry at that. I can get angry at anybody that tries to hurt my family. If I love Jesus and I love the glory of God, then I'm going to get angry at anything 
that steals his glory. I'm going to get angry at anything that diminishes the glory of God. Jesus got angry sometimes. Sometimes he got violently angry. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus, he's, he heals a man with a crippled hand on the Sabbath. The Pharisees are there, and he, he knows what their heart is. He knows what they're doing, and they're trying to, to conspire behind his back. And like, hey, he, he healed on the Sabbath. Here's a way. And they're trying to find a way to discredit him, to have a way where they can legally uh, have him killed for violating the word of God. And here's what the Bible says about Jesus. It says, Jesus looked around at them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He wasn't angry at them. He was angry at their hard hearts that were keeping them from truly seeing the truth of the gospel. For having their eyes open to see him as he was and who he is. And he was angry at the hardness of their heart because he loved them. He wanted them saved. In Matthew 21... Jesus, of course, is right before his crucifixion. He comes into the temple and he sees the religious leaders not letting Gentile, but people who have converted, Gentiles who have converted to Judaism, not letting them in the temple. And there, there was a court of the Gentiles where they could go. But he sees the Pharisees keeping Gentiles and keeping poor Jews out of the temple because they didn't have the money that they needed to buy the sacrifice. He sees the money changers charging people ridiculous amounts of money to, to be able to perform the sacrifice and get right with God. And he gets angry. He gets so angry, he makes a whip. And if you read the story, it's kind of funny because he's, he's just calmly sitting in the corner making a whip. And the disciples are like, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. You'll see. No big deal. Makes the whip, kind of calmly walks in and loses his mind, it looks like. Starts flipping tables, starts whipping people, chasing them out. But you know what? A couple days later, he went to the cross sinless. There's nowhere in Scripture where in Matthew 22, he says, I shouldn't have lost my temper like that. No, he got mad. He got violently angry and did not sin. Now, I'm not saying anytime someone makes you mad, get a whip and start hitting them. Uh, that's not, you say, why not? Because you ain't Jesus. So don't be doing that. But he didn't feel bad about it. He, he, what he did and how he reacted was not a sin. Now, uh, if you're, if you, what I'm saying, though, is if you're one of these people that think it's a virtue and you're like, I never get angry. You're not like Jesus. Because Jesus got mad. John Christensen, he's a church father, he said it's true that it is that it is true that he that is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry when there is cause also sins, perhaps to a greater degree. You should get angry when you hear about the rights of people getting trampled. You should be angry when you hear about people being abused. You should get angry when you hear about the sex trafficking industry and people being, being, uh, being kidnapped and, and misused and mistreated. Those things should make you angry in the face of eagle evil. If you are not angry, then you're not loving. Jesus got angry because he loved so much. So be angry. But then he finishes. But don't sin. Man, we can get the first one down pat. I got no problem being mad about stuff. I was, yesterday, when I'm watching the UVA football game, I was angry. I was not righteously angry because I'm yelling at the TV. And then when I'm watching the tech game, I'm also angry because they won and I'm still yelling at the TV. So I got angry, but I missed that second part. Be angry and sin not. So how do we get angry but not sinfully angry? Sinful anger comes from you loving the wrong things or putting your love for them in the wrong order. St. Augustine said, the root of sinfulness is disordered love. If what we love is messed up, 
If the order of how we love things is out of place, then our anger will be messed up as well. It's not wrong. Let me give you some examples. It's not wrong to value your name. Bible says that we should strive to have a good reputation, a good name. It's not wrong to, be, to want those things. But if you love it too much, when someone insults your reputation, when someone insults your name, you get angry. Not because that they're, they're disobeying, they're, they're, they're hurting God's name. No, they're hurting my name. Your pride is hurt. So you get angry. So whenever you get angry, you have to ask yourself, what is your anger trying to defend? When your teenager misses curfew, and they come home at 3 a.m., you're angry, right? You have a right to be angry. But why are you angry? Are you angry because they made you worry, and you had to stay up, and you lost sleep? Is that why you're angry? Or are you angry because their disregard of the rules and their disrespect of you shows how their relationship with God is not right. What are you angry about? That they're, they're not walking with God like they should or they made me worry and lose sleep? If I'm mad because they made me worry and lose sleep, your, your anger is sinful anger. It's in the wrong place. That's what, you know, you may be mad because they made you stay up. That's what affected you, but that's not what you should be mad at. If I get mad at April and I do this a lot, or she does this a lot. I'm trying to talk to her. And she's on her phone texting. And she doesn't talk to me because she's texting. And look, I don't understand it because I can text somebody and talk. I can multitask. She can't. If she's texting someone, she's totally focused on that to the exclusion of everything else. So when she's texting and I'm trying to talk to her, and she doesn't talk to me, and that makes me mad. What am I angry at? Am I mad because she is so self-absorbed? It's going to hurt her relationship with others around her? Or am I mad because she's inconveniencing me and ignoring me? That's me. I'm mad at the wrong thing. She's, make, she's ignoring me. She's making me wait. That's inconveniencing me. That's what I get mad at. When, you come, when you're driving down 81 and you see a sign... Left lane closed, next five miles. And you're, you, 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 you obey, you get over. You're obeying the signs. And then construction, four miles, lane closed, three miles, two. And then the cones start coming and shutting off that left lane. And someone who saw the sign, just like you did, five miles ago, goes all the way up to the cone and then tries to cut in front of you. Do you get mad? Yeah, you do. What are you getting mad at? Are you getting mad because their selfishness is going to hurt their relationships with God and others? Or are you mad because they're inconveniencing you and they're too stupid to read the sign like you did? You know how I know when I get mad at it, you know how I know my anger is sinful anger? Because when I'm in a hurry and I see the sign, construction five miles, and I don't get over, and I want to cut in front of everybody, it's okay if I do it because I'm in a hurry. But don't let anybody else do it. That's how I know my anger is sinful anger. Anger. What about when your, your work doesn't get recognized by your boss? Are you mad because he's ignoring you and hurting your... Or are you, you mad because your good work could be a way to glorify God and that's not being... right? You can tell that because how do you feel when someone else's work gets ignored? Do you get mad about their work being ignored as well or do you don't care because it's not you? Anger becomes sinful anger when it's out of order. So Paul gives us a confusing command. Get mad, but don't get sinfully mad. That brings us to the second thing we want to look at. Number two, God's answer to anger. Paul's discussion of anger, it comes in the, the midst of some, some commands that really seem impossible to follow. Look at verse 31 again. He says, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. To, when someone has hurt you, and I don't mean they cut you off in traffic. I don't mean they, they, you know, they stayed out late one night. I'm talking about someone has, 
has deeply offended you. They've hurt you deeply. It's pretty hard to just let that bitterness go. Let that anger go. And it's hard to forgive them. So how do you just turn off emotion like that? You know, Paul says, hey, stop being bitter and just forgive everybody. It's like, it's like telling your wife to calm down when she's mad. No woman has ever calmed down because a man said calm down. It's never happened. You know what happens when a husband says, why don't you just calm down? She gets way less calm real fast. So here's your marriage advice, guys. If your wife's upset, do not say calm down. It ain't going to work. So just, what do you do? Go mow the grass. Do something else. Get away. That's all I can tell you. Let her calm, let her calm down her own without you telling her to calm down. Now, should your wife, if she's, over, if she's angry and overreact, should she calm down? Yes, she should. But telling her doesn't help. Doesn't help. So when you're dealing with anger and forgiveness, there are usually three types of people. The first type of people are those that we, we know that we should forgive, but we, we just can't bring ourselves to forgive someone. They hurt us too deeply. They did too much damage to us emotionally. Maybe they, that what they did hurt us financially or they ruined relationships for us and we didn't do anything wrong, but they, they, they talked bad about us, they lied about us, and they ruined our reputation, they ruined relationships. We lost money, we lost people, and we are deeply, deeply hurt. We, but we know we should forgive them, but we just can't. Second, there are those people who think someone hurt me, and if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook. That's not just. Justice needs to be served. And so we can't forgive because we're looking for vengeance. Third, there are those people who, they go through the motions of forgiveness. They say the right things. They even do the right things. But they always remember what someone did. They never really let it go. And I forgive you, but I'm going to remember what you did and because of what you did, I'm going to say I forgive you, but I'm going to treat you differently because of that. So how do we develop the ability to let go of anger and to truly, biblically forgive those who have hurt us? That command and how we do that comes uh, at the beginning of a larger section. It starts back in verse 24. So look at Ephesians uh, 4, verse 24. <clears throat> And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So Paul says, look, before he even begins these kind of confusing, seemingly impossible commands. Hey, be angry, but don't sin. Forgive people who hurt you. Get rid of all the bitterness. He goes, if you're going to do this, to be able to do that, you have to put on the new man. You have to live in the reality that you are not who you used to be. But because you've been born again, God has made you a new creature for a purpose. Paul says, after we're saved, old things are passed away, all things become new. You are not who you used to be. You are a new creation, created to glorify God and to share the gospel in everything that we do. Now, Paul, he gives us true, two truths to help us understand this. First one's in verse number 32. How do we put on the new man? Forgiving one another just as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. See, here's what most of us think. Someone hurts us. Someone offends us. Someone does wrong to us. And we have been sinned against. Yeah, you have. But before you've been sinned against, you're a sinner. First and foremost, no matter what anyone has done to you, you are a sinner. Then you are someone who's sinned against you. Now, what Paul is saying here is no matter what anyone has done to you, it doesn't even begin to compare what you did to Jesus. Now, that's not, well, again, when, you're, when you do something stupid and your wife gets mad at you, don't look at her and say, well, I may have done that against you, but you know what you did against Jesus? I'm better than you. No. These are not things, again, you can do that, 
But I guarantee it's going to go downhill real fast for you. So that's not what I'm saying to do. Uh, but realize what I have to do is I have to realize that, yes, I may have been hurt. I may have been offended. I may have been mistreated. But I am a man that has deeply sinned against God. And he has deeply forgiven me. And I didn't have to do anything to do it. He has forgiven everything I've ever done against him. I have hurt Jesus far more than anyone has ever hurt me. And he forgave me. He didn't ask me. To, I didn't have to jump through hoops. I didn't have to grovel at his feet. I just have to say, Jesus, I confess my sin. I'm sorry. And he forgave me no matter what. So I need to approach every situation aware of how much God has forgiven me. It doesn't mean that I ignore other people's sins. It doesn't mean when someone hurts me that I just, oh, well, you know, they, they can do it. They can walk all over me because I walked all over Jesus and he forgave me. It's just I am, even though I'm aware of their sins, I'm more aware of how much I've been forgiven. The second truth is found in Ephesians 4.26. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Now, most of us, when we, we've heard this, we've read this, we've heard people tell us, don't ever go to bed angry. You ever heard that? This means when you're don't ever go to bed angry with your wife or your husband. You've got to figure it out. I've tried that. Sometimes me and April are having a, I don't want to say disagreement, a knockdown shingle rattling, barn pulling, you know, we have a, when we're having a fight and we try to resolve it, sometimes late at night, you know, it's 12 o'clock, you say, y'all fight that late? Yeah, sometimes. But when we're angry and it's one o'clock in the morning and I'm just trying to make her see my point so I can go to bed, you know what I lose? Sleep. Sometimes, look, sometimes you can't resolve it at night. Just go to bed. Go to bed bad, deal with it in the morning. Because then you're, you're refreshed, and hopefully by the morning she'll realize how bad, how wrong she is, and how right I am, and it'll be better. She'll come to me apologizing with breakfast in bed. You, you know how many times that's happened? None. You know why? Because usually I'm the one of the wrong. But anyway, it's not, not reminding just telling us, hey, don't go to bed angry. Here's what it means. I do not have to seek justice. I don't have to right every wrong that's been done to me. I can give the burden of righting wrongs to God, and I can go to sleep. And I can sleep like a baby. God promised to take care of every wrong that's been done against me. He promised to do that so I can lay down and sleep knowing he's going to take care of me. Look over in Romans chapter number 12. We're going to flip over there real quick. Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> Great passage Paul gives us here. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse number 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Basically that means don't, you know, an eye for an eye. That's not how we act. Now that's an Old Testament command. Yeah, it is. We're under grace now. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't have laws and if someone breaks a law against you or violates a law against you or kills someone you know that you say, well, I guess that's just how... No, no, no. We have laws for a purpose. So it's not saying we shouldn't have laws. It's saying you do not seek vengeance. You don't treat someone like garbage just because they treated you like garbage. It says, recompense no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Now, a lot of us, we don't, we don't try real hard to live peaceably with all men. But again, he's saying, if, if you are in a dangerous, abusive situation, he's not saying you've got to deal with it. No. Get out. You're in an abusive, dangerous situation. Come to me. I'll help you get out. 
We'll figure something out. But he is saying, if your, your spouse or your coworker or your neighbor are just kind of being jerks to you, you know what? You've got to try real hard to live a life that's honoring to them. He says, if it's possible. So if you've done everything you can and you are still in an abusive situation, get out. You've done everything you can and people still mistreat you, get out. But look at what he says in verse number 19. <clears throat> Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather... Give place unto wrath. That means, don't, when he says give place unto wrath, that's not let the anger take over you. He's saying, that's not your job. But rather, vengeance is mine, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if that enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, a lot of times we'll look at that. We're heaping coals of fire, and we think, oh, that's good. I'm going to heap coals of fire on that jerk. I'm going to, oh, he's going to hate how good I am to him. If that's your motivation, you're doing it wrong. You're, you're sinning in your anger. But this is a, a Jewish metaphor, and it's found in Proverbs chapter 25. And here's what the, the metaphor and Proverbs and Paul is teaching here in Romans. If, you, if someone is mean to you and someone is, is hurting you and someone is, is, is just mistreating you, but you are kind and loving and forgiving them, it's going to do one of two things. Either it will make them see how wrong they are treating you and they will change. They will see the injustice, and that's your desire, to help them see how they are treating us unjustly or how they are sinning so they can get right with God. Or it's going to increase God's judgment on them on the day of judgment because God says, vengeance and judgment is mine. I'll take care of it. If you, here's the thing, if you keep treating people good, and you are kind to people, and they continue to misuse you and treat you badly, God notices. He notices how you're acting, and he notices how they're acting. And so when Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, he says you can live free of the burden of trying to make things right because God is going to carry that burden. Here's the thing. If someone sins against you, one of two things are true. Either their sins have already been forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, or they're going to reject the gospel and they're going to pay for their sins for eternity. And again, you shouldn't want that. There should be no one in your life or the world that you think, well, I hope they never get saved and they suffer forever. That, that's, that's a sinful thought. And look, it, no matter who it is, but you can, you can go to bed, release the burden, because thinking either God's forgiven their sins or God's going to judge them for eternity. And that's not on me. That's on them and their relationship with God. Because of that, I can show grace. Because I'm not the judge. God's the judge. So I can let go of wrath. I can let go of anger. I can let go of bitterness. I was not meant to be the judge of anybody. Here's the thing. I got my own sin to deal with. I'm too busy dealing with my sin to worry about whether you're getting punished for your sin or not. I got to get the, the plank out of my eye before I worry about the speck in yours. So Paul's answer to unrighteous anger is to put on the new man, to understand the truth of the gospel. Embrace the depths of Christ's forgiveness of you. Resign to be the, resign as the judge of the universe, because that's God's job. So how do we get angry in a righteous way? That brings us to number three. How to be angry like Jesus. Look at verse number 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that I may minister grace unto the hearers. Jesus' anger was always redemptive. He never got angry in a vindictive 
manner. His anger was always meant to restore someone, to help them get back in a right relationship with God. The word, look at the word again, let no corrupt. The word corrupt there literally means destructive. How do we get angry like Jesus? Don't allow the things you say and the things, and look, when someone hurts you, you may not say it to them, but when someone hurts you, we always like to, we get with our friends, like, can you believe what brother so-and-so did to me? And we start tearing them down with our words. We start destroying them with our words. So don't allow your words to destroy someone, to tear someone down, or to ruin their reputation. Our goal as children of God is to build people up. To help redeem them and help them see the errors of their way. To give grace like Jesus gave grace to you. Hatred of sin comes from love of the sinner. And I've always had a hard time with that phrase. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Y'all ever heard that? Always bothers me because some, we'll say that. We hate the sin, love the sinner, but we always tend to hate the sinner too. Or treat them like we hate them. So it's always bothered me. How can you hate what someone does, but love that person? Because look, you know, okay, for instance, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Y'all know who that guy is? You know, serial killer who ate people. I hate what he did. How do you love a guy like that? How do I love him? Oh, I, I hate what you did, Jeffrey, but I love you and I'm going to spend... I ain't having dinner with Jeffrey Dahmer. I can't now because he's dead. But anyway, how do you hate what someone does but love them? Charles C.S. Lewis said the same way. He said, I remember Christian teachers telling me long ago that I must hate a bad man's actions but not hate the bad man. Or as they would say... Hate the sin, but not the sinner. I used to think this is a silly, straw-splitting distinction. How can you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one man to whom I had been doing that all my whole life, myself. However, however much I might, might, might dislike my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I always loved myself. There had never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason I hated these things was I loved myself so much. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did those things. So when we say, oh, I hate the sin, but I love the sin, we do that all the time. Hopefully, when you sin, you hate what you do, but you never stop loving yourself. We love ourselves no matter what. So when someone sins against you, yes, confront someone in their wrong. Confront someone in their sin, but never with the intent of, of making sure they pay for what they did. Never with malice in your heart. We shouldn't seek vindication. We should seek redemption. I'm going to try to redeem my relationship with them, redeem their relationship with God. I'm going to try to, you know, we, we shouldn't feel like we're venting or we're trying to get justice. However, whenever we confront someone about their sin, it should always be with an invitation for fellowship. Jesus gave a great illustration of this in Matthew 5. But I say unto you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever strikes you on the right cheek Turn to him the other as well. Now, again, this is another one we, we read and we kind of misunderstand. This doesn't mean that if someone attacks you, stand there and take it. You come up to me and start smacking me, I, I'm not going to give you my other cheek, I'm going to give you my fist. But that's not what the Bible says. Yeah, it actually is. It's because in the Jewish tradition, the cheek didn't... Something always represented something. So the cheek represented... A relationship. Smacking someone was the biggest insult you could give to them. And it was hurting not just them physically, but it was showing that you didn't care about the relationship. So Jesus isn't talking about literal, physical violence. But what do you do if someone's insulting you? What do you do if someone is attacking you? Not physically, but they're, they're hurting you, they're insulting you, they're attacking you. When that happens, you have three choices. You can strike back. Someone attacks you, you can retaliate. That is, a, that is being overcome by evil. Or, uh, and you can, you can offer the same cheek. Someone smacks you on the right. You, that, that, when you do that, you are, you are passively, aggressively dealing with them. That's when you ignore them. 
You post things about them. It's not really about them, but it is about them. You talk about them behind their back. You are passively, aggressively attacking them. That's giving them the same cheek. Or you can give them the other cheek. It's, uh, it, when you give them the other cheek, you are trying to restore the relationship with them. You're not allowing them to keep hurting you. You're confronting what they're doing. But you're not doing it to get vengeance or to get justice. You're doing it to restore the relationship that was lost. You are doing whatever it takes to reestablish the relationship with them. You're not ignoring the evil. But part of turning the cheek is confronting evil. But you're doing it with the goal of restoration. See, loving anger is always focused on eliminating sin while drawing close to a person. Look at verse number 26 in Ephesians chapter 4 again. It says, Be angry and sin not, let the, wrath, not the sun not go down on your wrath. Here, here's how you can, you can be angry like Jesus. Jesus' anger was always short-lived. Again, Acts, uh, Matthew 22, 21. He comes to the temple. He's flipping tables. He's yelling at people. He's calling them names. He's whipping them. As soon as he's done, he's fine. He loves them again. He doesn't hold a grudge. His anger was always short-risked. So whether the, the sun goes down on your wrath or not is a test of love. Is your love selfish love or true love? See, true anger, loving anger, doesn't hold a grudge. It doesn't make people come back and grovel to make things right with you. You got angry at the sin, you, you did it, but now you moved on. All right, we're done. We're going to move on from that. You confront the person with the wrong, and then you leave the justice in God's hand and let him deal with it. Selfish anger stays with you. You mull it over. You simmer on it. You may say, well, I forgive them. But a couple days later, you say, I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe they treated me that. I can't believe they said that to me. And you're, you're still angry and mad. That is not Christ-like anger. So how long your anger lasts, it reveals whether you are dealing with selfish anger and you're concerned about vengeance or it's loving anger, concerned about the other person. Look at verse 31. How to love like Jesus. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Jesus' anger was always controlled anger. Loving anger develops slowly, and it's never explosive and destructive. It's always controlled. Look, Proverbs has a lot to say about anger. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool utter all, utters all his mind, but a wise man keeps it to afterwards. Here's what that means. You ever had a, you, you, you call somebody up, or you're talking to somebody, you're like, I just got to vent. I just got to vent about this. The Bible says you're acting like a fool. You calling me a fool, pastor? I've done it too. And look, I think we need to vent, but God says vent to me. Don't, because most of the time we're, try, we're venting. We're not just trying to, this is what I'm doing. If that's what you're doing, it's like, I just want to get it out there, and I want to tell you what I'm dealing with, and, how, and this is what's bothering That's fine. But most of the time we're venting, it's because we, we want whoever we're venting to, to realize we're right and whoever hurt us is wrong. They're all, I want them on my side, so I'm going to vent before they hear what the true story is. That's not True, that's not biblical anger. Proverbs 16, 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit uh, than he who takes a city. Getting angry quick always leads to trouble. Proverbs 29, 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgressions. What about the New Testament? James 1, 20. Or the anger of, for the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Instead of quick reactions... We are told to respond with patience and gentleness. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 19, the discretion, the discretion of a man defers his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Here's what the Bible is teaching us, and here's how, how, what Jesus is teaching us. Sometimes when you're hurt, something's done wrong to you, 
the only thing you can do and the best thing you can do is let it go. Let God handle it. He'll do it better than you can. He'll take care of it better than you can. Just let it go and give it to God. And that will diffuse a lot of anger. So loving anger, Christ-like anger, is controlled and it develops slowly. So get angry, but get angry like God. You know, Paul, he shows us the difference between selfish anger and loving anger. Shows us how to develop loving anger and get rid of the selfish anger we all struggle with. You know, the world would be a better place. Our relationships would be a lot better if all of us lived like this. If we put on the new man, and not, don't, don't get angry, don't be a doormat. Get angry, but don't sin in your anger. Get angry like Jesus did. Get angry for the purpose of redemption. Bitterness does more damage to you than it does to whoever you're mad at. One man said, being bitter at someone is like drinking poison and hoping they're going to die. Just kills you. Just destroys you. Nursing bitterness and resentment gives Satan every tool he needs to destroy your heart. So getting rid of anger and bitterness and resentment, it's more about your relationship with God than your relationship with other people. Forgiveness isn't saying that what happened didn't hurt. But it's letting someone off the hook where you don't have to, they don't have to make it right with you. You don't have to see justice done. You're going to give it to God and let Him deal with it. It is recognizing that it's not your hook that they're on. They're on God's hook. Get angry, but don't sin in your anger. Forgive like God has forgiven you and love like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.